Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 25, and the series that we're doing is the idea of hiding in Christ, that all people in life, especially when you face some kind of pain or hardship or sin struggle, there's a, there's a sense that you want to cover up, right? We started in Genesis chapter 3, that was Adam and Eve's knee-jerk reaction. They sinned, they felt shame, they sought fig leaves, they ran and hid behind trees. We all need to hide in Christ, but that's never our first reaction in the flesh. And so we're going through Genesis looking at different stories of how this comes out. This morning we're going to look at Jacob and Esau. And let's start in Genesis chapter 25 and skip down to verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children strived together within her and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red and all over, uh, excuse me, and all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And afterward his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So um, last week, we or two weeks ago, I guess, we looked at Abraham. God had made him a promise that he was going to have children. All the nations would be blessed in his children. Isaac is the son of promise. This promise is going to continue going through him. But when Isaac gets married, they're barren for 20 years. Now, initially, Isaac starts off a lot better than Abraham and Sarah did. You know, they came up with a really bad plan to try to fix things. It didn't work very well. Isaac faithfully prays for 20 years for his wife. And when you're stuck in a hardship, when you're stuck in a place where you feel like you have this promise from the Lord, but it's not being fulfilled yet, what's the best thing you can do is you can pray and wait and persevere in prayer. And they do that. They get pregnant. They get doubly pregnant. They get twins. But then it's literally like... Uh, The Hebrew has the connotation, it's like the skulls are crashing together. It's like they're having these violent fights in her belly. And so she prays, or maybe she goes to a prophet um, to say, why is this happening to me? Well, God, you you finally gave me what I wanted, and now it seems terrible. And just some of this is just by way of introduction, but it's pretty interesting. How many times in our life do we pray for something, we get what we want, and we're thankful, but then we get what we want, and it's like, whoa, there's a lot of pain and baggage that comes with what I want. There is a kind of immature naivete that I think all Christians at times struggle with that when God gives us one good answer to prayer, we kind of subtly start to assume everything will be smooth sailing from here on out. But as long as you're living on planet Earth in this sinful, fallen, broken world, there's always going to be pain and hardship. There's ups and downs. And so when you're on the mountaintop enjoying things, enjoy it. Just don't expect it to last. The valley's coming. And so the Lord gives her a prophecy and says... You've got two heads of two nations in your belly. And the typical way is the older one gets the greater blessing, right? And the younger one has to serve him. But that's not going to be the case. In your family, the younger will actually rule. He'll get the greater blessing. He'll get the greater inheritance. And the older will have to serve him. And this is going to set up a problem in the family. So uh, we're going to look at 
how Jacob handles this problem in his life. So we're going to look at him coveting. So let's look at the coveting uh, that Jacob is going to do. Just pick up right where we left off. Actually, let's read verse 26 again. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand, holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So Jacob's name was based off of the fact that he came out holding on to Esau's heel. Now, probably his mom picked that name, and probably the idea was this. Uh, you know, you probably wouldn't nickname your son something bad out of the womb, right? That's not the way moms tend to think. They want to say something glorious about their child. So probably it was like, you know, Jacob is a play on the word of heel. And probably in her mind, she had something of the idea of God will be your rear guard. God will be behind you. God will be at your heel to bless you. Something like that was probably in her mind. But we know this story. We're going to look at it. As he grew up, that, na- that name, Jacob, meaning heel, turned into a bad thing, right? That Jacob's a, uh, a deceiver. He's a schemer. He's the kind of guy that will grab you by the heel and trip you up. You can't trust him. Now, let's keep going. Verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in the tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, just pause there for a second. And remember this, the Bible in some sense is giving us all of the truth, all of the principles at least that we need to know for life and godliness. When you think about it that way, the Bible is actually a really short book. And so it's trying to pack a lot of truth into a fairly short book to give all people, all times, all places, everything they need for life and godliness. And sometimes there's a ton of stuff packed in just a little phrase that we can blow past and not really see all that's being said. Isaac played favorites. Isaac said, I like the son, older son better. I like Esau better. And why? Not because he was like godlier. He liked him better because of a very shallow reason. Because he was a hunter. And because he could kill game. And he could cook game. And Isaac loved to eat. And he loved the taste of it. And then it says, Rebecca loved Jacob. Now just try to put yourself for a second... This is a really a pretty emotionally laden story. Try to put yourself into the mind and heart and shoes of little boy Jacob. Growing up in a family where supposedly you have this great patriarch of a father who's a godly man who prayed for 20 years for mom to get pregnant. And then she got twins. But dad really likes older brother Esau. But for some reason, it doesn't seem like he likes you very much. He was like, why when Esau hangs out with dad, does it seem like they can laugh so easily and joke and get along? But when I'm there, it's always kind of awkward or painful. And so almost certainly Jacob had this longing to be affirmed, this longing to be blessed, this longing to be loved by his father. And here's really what we're looking at today, guys. Maybe the, the deepest and the best desire that every human being has is to be loved, to be accepted. That's not a bad desire. Right, But when we look for it primarily at a horizontal way, it never works. It's never enough. Um, when you idolize anything in life, even a good thing, in that area of life, you will become a black hole of neediness. You understand what I mean by that? My mother-in-law had a very hard life and in a lot of ways has had a hard life with the men in her life. And early on, especially in our marriage, you know, there would be times like she would come to visit us. 
And she, and, and part of it is our personalities are very different, okay? She tends to be a hyper-emotional person. That's not exactly the type of person I am. And so, but I was trying to be a good son-in-law, right? So she would arrive, and I would, like, go out and meet her, and, hey, good to see you. Give her a big hug, and let me get your bags. And, you know, five minutes after being in the house, she's like, well, aren't you going to tell me, hey? I'm like, well, yeah, I'll tell you, hey, again. I, did, I told you, hey, outside. Aren't you going to give me a hug? I, okay, I'll get, you know, and a lot of times it'd be, she'd be coming for Christmas, and, Again, she's a big gifts person. My wife's a big gifts person. I'm not a big gift person, right? That's just, you know, the whole love languages thing. If you want to give me a gift, I'll take it. But it, it's probably not going to change my life. And so we'd open Christmas gifts, and I'd open my shirt or whatever. And I'm like, hey, thank you for this shirt. Well, don't you like it? And I was like, listen, this is about as excited I get about clothes, you know? I don't know if you've been paying attention. I just don't care that much. But here's what I'm trying to say. Even when I was trying to do my best to love her, affirm her, value her, it was never enough. Does that make sense? A black hole of neediness. When we seek to get things met at the horizontal level that really only ultimately can be met at the vertical level. It's a fool's errand. You'll never be happy. John Calvin said this, talking about Isaac. He undervalued the younger. So, guys, parents and especially dads, are supposed to be a reflection to our children of what God is like. I mean, that's why Jesus taught us so much to when we relate to God that He's our Father. This is kind of a side note, especially for all you young parents in here. Everything you're doing, playing with your kids, praying with your kids, reading to your kids, spending time with your kids, disciplining your kids. Remember, in some sense what you're doing is you're saying, this is what God is like. It's a heavy burden. And Isaac blew it. Because what Isaac basically said is, I don't like you. With his actions. I'm sure he never said that out loud. But his actions said, I don't like you that much. Now think about psychologically what that does to a little boy. Dad doesn't like me very much. You start to assume, well then God must not like me very much. And if God doesn't like me very much, then in some sense, you say, well I can't really trust God to provide for me. He's not going to meet my needs. And when you start to think that way, God's not going to provide my needs. What's the, what, is the, what is the knee-jerk next reaction? If God's not going to provide for my needs, then what? I'm going to provide for myself. Somebody's got to provide. And I will take matters into my own hands, and I'll do whatever it takes, even if I have to break some of God's rules to get provision. And that's what we're going to see Jacob doing. Tim Keller says this, Jacob lacked a sense of affirmation and value and everything in his life is oriented to procuring it. You see that? So, I mean, just because look what happens. Look at the very next verse. It's like there's their childhood and then it's going to tell us this important story when they became men. When Jacob had cooked stew, just side note, I wonder if he was trying to perfect his cooking. Maybe if I can become a better cook, dad will like me. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Eden. But Jacob said, First sell me your birthright. Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. So what use is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, Esau's a bad dude. Esau's stupid. I mean, the, the birthright, especially in this family, this godly family of the covenant, 
was you're going to get the majority of the inheritance, but you're also going to be the patriarch. You're going to be the spiritual leader of the family. It's like, I don't care about that. I'm about to die. I'm just so hungry. But we're not talking about Esau as much today. We're talking about Jacob. And listen, Jacob does a bad thing here. I mean, what Jacob does, you could technically say, well, technically it wasn't wrong. He made a deal, right? He didn't lie. He didn't deceive. He said, I'm going to make you a deal. I'll give you as much stew as you want for your birthright. And Esau's a big boy. He made the deal. But guys, it wasn't loving in any way, was it? It was obviously this selfish thing. It's like he kind of had the contract drawn up already in his pocket. He's like, well, just sign on the dotted line. I'll be happy to feed you, big brother. <clears throat> it's cold. It's calculating. It's manipulative. And guys, a lot of times, we do things in our life that's a small sin that maybe we can even justify in our mind. We can rationalize. And be very careful because you know what that does? That just sets you up to sin bigger and in a worse way next time because you're searing your conscience. In whatever area it is, I got away with it last time. I'm not even sure it was technically sin. I'm not even technically sure I feel convicted. What's the big deal? You are just leading yourself in some sense to be given over to more and more of your sin. It's a dangerous way to be. So he's coveting. What, right? He wants his dad's blessing. He wants to feel loved. He wants to feel accepted. Again, which those are not bad desires. Guys, all of our sin... If you trace it down deep enough, there's good desires behind them. But then we just try to get them met in perverse ways. And that's what he's doing here. And it's going to lead to a cursed type of life. So look at verse 27, uh, chapter 27. Let's skip down there. Chapter 27, pick up in verse 1. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. Isaac said, Behold now, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. So it was customary in that day and age when the dad of a family thought he was about to die to call the whole family together, maybe even the servants, and Give out the inheritance, right? This is an oral culture. They didn't typically have written contracts. And so, especially in the godly family of the covenant, the patriarch, it was an oral commitment that was binding, but it was more than that. It almost had some kind of spiritual, prophetic foreshadowing. This is really going to happen. I'm blessing you, and you're going to get this, and it was irrevocable. Now, Esau and Isaac are doing the wrong thing because Isaac thinks he's about to die. He doesn't call the whole family. He just calls Esau. Because Isaac almost certainly knew the prophecy, but he didn't like the prophecy. 
I don't, I don't want to make Jacob in charge. I want to make Esau in charge. He's trying to sin. Rebecca, I mean, listen, this favoritism in the family, it didn't help their marriage at all. Doesn't seem like they're getting along great. Right? He didn't even call his wife to this ceremony, but she doesn't trust him, so it's like she's spying on him. She's listening. She hears the plan. She says, Jacob, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find a way for you to get it. Jacob seems like he gets a little bit convicted, but he's really not convicted, right? He's just worried. He's just fearful. I don't want to get caught. It's not because I want to be godly. I just don't want to get caught. I mean, I'm already distant from daddy. I don't want to invoke a curse from dad by doing this sinful thing. And Rachel's like, listen, don't worry about it. I got you. If something bad happens, I'll take it. Just trust me. And Jacob does. Okay. Um, now, again, guys, this is important for us to remember. It is not wrong for a kid to want to be blessed by his daddy. In some sense, that's the most pure desire in the world, right? I want my dad to love me. I want my dad to like me. But when you go about it in a sinful way, that's the problem. Now, what would have been the right way to handle this? For Jacob, maybe just to go to his dad and say, Dad... Mom's been telling me for years there was this prophecy before I was even born that I'm supposed to get the inheritance. Why, why are you not going to give me the inheritance? That would have been a straightforward way to deal with it, right? But he's, not, he's, he's, he's living by fear. And so he's trying to hide in the shadows and he's chosen this cursed path, this path of hiding, this path of manipulation. I mean, maybe the greatest, one of the greatest biblical examples of somebody handling a problem like this the right way is when God gives a promise to David, you're going to be the next king. And pretty quickly, David understands why, because Saul is possessed by a demon, or at least tormented by a demon. And David's men are oftentimes saying, take matters into your own hands. This is obvious, right? You ought to just chop Saul's head off and be the king. But David was godly. He said, no, no, I'm not taking matters into my own hands. I'm not going to be stupid. I'm going to do every legitimate thing I can to stay alive. I'm going to run. I'm going to hide. But I'm not going to move into sin to accomplish my goals and desires. Does that make sense? And guys, that's the path of faith. Don't be driven by fear. Be driven by faith. In the long run, God is good. He's going to keep His promises. I don't know exactly when. I don't know exactly how. But I trust His character even when I can't see His hand. And I'll be patient. And I'll wait. Okay. Um, so many of our desires, they're not bad desires. They're good desires. But so many times, listen, maybe the main way that we get into sin in life, and I, right now, okay, I'm talking to the middle class crowd that shows up for Sunday morning on January 1 when almost everybody else is sleeping in, right? How do we get into sin? I think most of the time the way that we get into sin is there's a good desire that we have, but we get sick of waiting. And we run out of patience and we say, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to force it now. But the patience, the waiting game is what kills us. But that's what so much of faith is, right? Is I will stay here and I will wait even if I die in the waiting. I mean, it's part of Hebrews 11. So many of these people that were the great men and women of faith in the Old Testament, they died before they ever got what they wanted. Right? We say, I, no way. I was talking to a married couple recently, doing some marriage counseling. And uh, part of what I said to them, I think they've been married 10 years, they're in their 30s. And basically the whole 10 years have been really hard. And part of what I said to them, I said, listen, if you want a prayer of making this thing work, 
And neither one of them have biblical grounds for divorce at this point, right? That's, that's the exceptions clause. So let's just leave that out for now. They don't have it, this, this couple. I said, if you guys want a prayer making this thing work, y'all have to basically resolve, I'm going to stay committed to the other one no matter if it doesn't get better. If the next 75 years are miserable, you have to say, because I'm so committed to Jesus, I'm sticking in the marriage. And I appreciate the honesty. The husband just said, hey, i got to be honest. I ain't sticking around for 75 years of misery. I didn't sign up for that. And part of what I want to say is, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> you may not have understood what you but that is yes, right? Sickness and health, better or worse. But you see what he's saying? And again, I appreciate his honesty. He's like, I don't have enough faith in the goodness of God to wait 75 years. But guys, if we really believe the promises of Scripture, heaven is going to be so good, so great, so glorious, and so eternal... What if I do have to just suffer misery for the next 75 years? But then for eternity, I get pure bliss and pure pleasure. It's like, that's a pretty darn good deal, isn't it? But we don't think that way often enough. We're in this microwave culture that wants my way right away in every area. And again, it's not wrong to want those things. It's wrong to demand those things. And that's what's happening to Jacob. And that's what's happening to his mom. She gets involved in it. So now there's going to be the cover-up, a covering. Let's pick up right where we left off, verse 15. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she also gave the savory food and the bread which she made to her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up and please sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. Just a side note, because you're like, some of this is kind of subjective. How do I know when I'm living by fear, not by faith? You know, as I... Here's one of the clearest telltale signs. You start telling lies. That, that's, you know, I, I have known guys in ministry that there have been years where it's like, this guy's more motivated by fear than he is by faith. But it's so subjective, it's hard to prove. And nine times out of ten, the way it eventually gets proven and they get fired is they start telling lies and they get called in them. Watch yourself. Where are you the most tempted to tell a lie? Where have you already told a lie? It was kind of a white lie. (laughs) And we need some repentance there. Okay. Um, Verse 20. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Be really careful when you start involving God in your lies. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Isaac smell something that's off, so to speak. So Jacob came close, and Isaac, his father, and he felt him, and he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate, and he also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close, and he kissed him, and when he smelled the smell, 
smell of his garments, he blessed him and he said, See, the smell of my son is like a smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and of an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father that Isaac his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food, brought it to his father and he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And Isaac his father said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Skip down to verse 41. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. So he's basically saying, Daddy said he's about to die. I'm going to wait for him to die. We'll have the funeral, and then I'm going to cut my brother's throat. Verse 42. Now when the words of the, her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee to Haran to my brother Laban and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send you and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? Sin always backfires. In some sense, the plan worked, did it not? What did Rebecca want? I think, what, I think the deep desire of her heart was, I want Jacob to get the blessing that God said he's supposed to get, and I want our family to all be one big happy family. That's what every mom wants, right? We just came through Christmas. Whether you got little kids, quit fighting and just enjoy the present. You know, quit fighting over the box and be friends about the presents you have. Or you're older and you got older kids. Just come home and let's all have a meal together and nobody get mad and have their feelings hurt and leave the table, right? That's what every mom wants. And it's a good desire. But she went about it in a perverse way. What's Jacob want? I want my dad's blessing. I want his kiss. I want his nearness. I want his intimacy. They both got what they wanted in some sense, but not really. What good is a blessing that was primarily about land and family and possessions if you have to run away the next day? By the time he finally comes back, Rebecca's dead. She never gets to see her favorite son again. She thought it would be a few days. Never sees him again. Sin is never worth it, guys. It always backfires. You may feel like you get what you want in the short run, but in the long run, it never fulfills. It's never worth it. In fact, it actually pushes you further from your goal. Does that make sense? You think you're pursuing your goal. It looks like you're moving towards it. It's really a mirage. God's got the game rigged. 
If you try to go after your goals in a way that he doesn't like, he will guarantee you won't be able to enjoy the fruit of your labors very long. So much to learn here. When we're sinned against like Jacob was sinned against, it's so easy to justify our own sin, is it not? I mean, listen, maybe the most powerful cultural narrative going on right now is if you're a victim, you can say and do whatever you want. And everybody just has to sit down and shut up and support you and listen to you. And it's pretty powerful, right? And it's seeped into the church in a lot of ways. But biblically speaking, guys, we're all victims because we've all been sinned against by other people, right? But we're also all villains because we're not pure innocent victims. We've also been dishing out plenty of our own sin. But in Christ, I can become a victor over my villainhood and over my victimhood. And that's what I should be wanting to be defined by, not as being defined by a victim. Listen, I had a counseling professor, just got to hear him speak again. One of the things he said is everybody in a sense is narrating the story of their own life. What character do you choose to play? And a lot of people in today's age, they choose to play the victim in the narration of their life. I think that was part of what was going on with my mother-in-law. And so it was never enough to feel loved. And the whole story becomes a tragedy. The story we ought to be playing is, it, it's, it's a rescue story. And I'm the one that got rescued. And it's glorious. Okay? We are all like Jacob to some degree. And why? Okay? Because even in the greatest families, in the greatest churches, in the greatest cultures, in the greatest countries, this is still a broken world and we're a broken people. And you're going to experience some of the pain of the curse. And guys, our knee-jerk reaction, going all the way back to the garden, is whenever we experience some kind of pain or hardship, we start to doubt, does God really love me? Does God really like me? Is God really for me? Right? I don't care how Presbyterian and Reformed you grew up and you got the whole shorter catechism memorized. When something really painful in your life happens, isn't the knee-jerk of your heart to say, where are you, God? Why are you letting this happen to me? Now, now pause. If that's the knee-jerk reaction, you're, you're in pretty good company. Read the book of Psalms. Read Job. Here's the key, though. You pray it out to God. You wrestle it out with Him. You don't just assume, God must have abandoned me, so I'll go fix this problem myself. You wrestle it out in prayer. I love studying the life of David. When you read First and Second Samuel, he almost seems perfect with the way he handles Saul, doesn't he? He seems almost superhuman. How could he be so patient? Then you go read the books that he wrote, the psalms that he wrote, the prayers he was praying, and he sounds like a middle school girl crying to his mom. That was the secret to his strength. He poured out his heart to God. I hate this situation. I don't understand this situation. I don't know how much longer I can take it. Help me. And he was able to rise in power and go do the right thing. we got to be praying that way. we got to be wrestling through it. Okay. I don't know what the situation is in your life. I had a buddy worked for a ministry, and he really didn't feel valued. And as I was trying to talk to him, he, he had, he's like, well, you know, I never get asked to speak at this certain conference, and other people always get to that. And part of what I want to say to him is, who cares? Because part of what I knew is, even if he got asked to speak at that certain conference, do you think that would satisfy all the deepest longings of his heart, and all of a sudden then he would feel valued? Maybe in your job you felt like you got passed over for a promotion that you really deserved. And I'm not saying there's not a right time and way to say, hey, I think I got passed over right. 
But don't put all your eggs in that basket. Because if you got the promotion, do you really think it would satisfy the deepest desires of your heart? It absolutely would not. You've got to find your deepest satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? He sinfully took matters into his own hands like we often do. He got the blessing, but really he got the curse because he got driven away from the presence of the Father. That's the ultimate curse, guys. One last thing you notice in this story. There's no heroes, right? There's only been four characters in this whole story. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau. Which one do you want to be like? None of them. <laughs> They're all bad. And this is just such a and this is this is like one of the most famous Bible stories and it's just such a clear reminder the Bible is not mainly about giving us human moral examples. It's not a be like book as much as it is a look away from yourself and trust in someone else. And Ambrose, this great ancient theologian, part of what he pulled out of this is it's a great pointer to Christ. Because all of us want the kiss of the Father, the love of the Father, the blessing of the Father, but we can't have it because we stink with sin. But if we trust in Christ, we put on His royal robe of righteousness. And then I can come into the presence of the Father. And I can legitimately have His kiss, have His embrace, have His warmth, have His smile, have His blessing that the older brother deserved, earned. But He's happy to share it with me. And guys, when the intellectual knowledge of the blessing that we have in Christ sinks deeper and deeper into the depths of our soul and our heart and it burns and it shines and it radiates... Then when I come up against some hardship or pain or suffering in life, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt anymore. It does mean that I can handle it in the right way of patience and prayer and not being demanding and pushy and taking matters into my own hands because Christ has already taken the ultimate matter into His hands for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, no covering in our life will work other than the covering of your blood. No love will really satisfy us fully other than your love, Lord Jesus. And no blessing will really fulfill us other than the blessing of your Father. And thank you that you have won that for us. Lord, I pray for all of us, wherever we are tempted to sinfully hide, to sinfully cover up, to sinfully lie, to sinfully take matters into our own hands and our impatience and our fear, would you grow us up Would you make us more and more into men and women of faith and patience and perseverance and prayer, looking to our risen Savior and fixing all of our hope in you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching. 